Hey, it's Derek and welcome to this week's podcast, a very exciting interview with two senior design leads, directors at Nothing, the tech company that if you've been following along with my pages at all, you'll see I've reviewed the ear stick, I've reviewed the ear two as well. And I just wanted to share with you before I jumped into the conversation, that this is exciting for me because companies of a stature, tech companies don't talk to people like me because it's so secretive and there's so many layers. And to be able to access these people and ask stupid questions about things that I'm interested in, in terms of like how to make these products, what goes into it, the challenges, you know, what do you think about in making audio devices for the consumer is fascinating to me. So when I had the opportunity to be able to speak to them, I obviously jumped at the chance. And I hope that you find it interesting because this isn't just like, if you're not into tech, it's not just something where you're like, okay, well, I don't know. I don't know about these features and it doesn't really matter to me. It's more about the process of thinking about how to create a seamless, well-designed, original product in a market that we all kind of interact with every day and put into our ears and don't think much about. So from that perspective, I think you're really going to enjoy it. I think that the both of the guys were really articulate in terms of how they think about things. And when I tried to ask them things that I thought I knew what the answer was, there was never the answer. So I hope you enjoy the interview with nothing. Enjoy. What's up, everyone? It's Derek G Speaks Volumes, and I am very, very excited to have a very unique discussion on the podcast today. The theme is, which I'm introducing to you guys probably for the first time, is the intangible experience of listening. And I have two very, very important and impressive people in the, I guess, tech industry is the easiest way to describe it, Adam Bates and Tom Ridley from Nothing. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Derek. Hey, Derek. Great to be here. Yeah, good to see you. Welcome along. I, I just want to say and introduce what we're doing today, if I, if I may, which is anyone has seen some of the content I've made. I've been working a little bit with nothing. The brand that's been around for since 2020, which has introduced to the world really exciting technology, including phones and earphones that have kind of made huge waves in the tech industry. And if anyone knows anything about me, I'm really excited by people doing things that are interesting and new and nothing is very much in the conversation of new and exciting things because I see a lot of content online, especially about you guys wanting to do things differently and making an impact in a different way. And what I find really special about this uh, opportunity is that for myself and listeners like ourselves, we don't generally usually get to speak to people that make these types of products. It's usually very walled garden. It's like, here's the thing. It's like just created out of this ethereal nothing and enjoy. And you guys have been really open about the design process, about the thinking behind it, the the, the ideals behind it. You're based out of, out of London. And it's, it's really cool at this stage of your business that you guys want to share as much as you do. And I uh, uh, jump at the opportunity to be able to speak to you guys because it's very rare. So, Again, thank you for joining us. And I'd just love to like, first of all, have you guys introduce yourselves and and what you do at nothing, if you could. 
Sure. Uh, my name's Tom. <clears throat> I'm a designer. Um, and I suppose uh, today I look after um, the, the kind of uh, interactions and experiences um, broadly in a kind of hardware sense. Um, that's lots of button interactions, LEDs, famously the glyphs. Um, I spend a lot of my time working on um, and the sounds that accompany them as well. So that kind of interaction of sound and motion and light and interaction. Um, <clears throat> and the way I got there was um, through through product design, industrial design and engineering. Um, I, I met Adam when we worked at Dyson together, which obviously a, a, another massive tech company from this part of the world. And, um, and uh, I guess Adam actually said to me, um, you know, we've got we've got all these products that do all these different things. They behave in different ways. You use them in different ways. Uh, there's different sort of um, interaction models. Some of them, you know, be that presses or long presses or switches or catches or uh, all of these different things. And also they respond in different ways, be that LEDs or screens or or, or eventually sound as well. And I, I kind of joined Adam's team to begin to look after that. And then I suppose that journey has taken me through um, through uh, into digital UX, UI. I spent a, a few years sort of getting my head into that and enjoyed that very much. Uh, and now uh, here at Nothing, it feels like an amalgamation of all, of all of those years of experience, as well as my own interest and experience in kind of music and audio production, which has been a, a big, quite separate, but big part of my life that you know, at various moments when, uh, when sound has, you know, become a part of my work, you know, that's kind of, uh, entered the workplace in it a few times, but, um, so yeah, it feels like a, a real combination of everything I've ever done really. So it's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, uh, I'm Adam, I'm the design director here at nothing. So my job, uh, really there's, there's a few parts to my job. One is to build a design team here in London. Uh, there wasn't one when, when I joined. So, um, it's finding people like Tom and other members that we have um, and figuring out how we can have a design department in London that fits between the Stockholm part with Teenage Engineering and the Shenzhen part, um, which is where the manufacture takes place for nothing products. So, uh, yeah, really, really that, that was the first task, um, being the kind of first design employee uh, for kind of industrial design in in the UK uh, was was building this team, finding uh, a studio, uh, and starting to build a culture. And uh, my background, um, as Tom said, we met at Dyson. My background, I started working as what they called a design engineer. They called everyone a design engineer um, oh, that joined, yeah. and you did just that you um you didn't see much separation between design and engineering it was very much about solving the problems and uh making the prototypes yourself doing the cad coming up with the ideas it was a really great apprenticeship uh into how to um, develop products and then the second part of my career there was actually building an in-house design team so um, this is my second crack at building a team uh, at Dyson, um, we sort of found our way um, and and kind of created this merge of of different uh, kind of designers and engineers and model makers, which really looked at the products as a whole. So 
not separating anything that was software based from anything that was physical, not separating um, audio from um, mechanical, uh, really looking at the whole thing as a complete experience, including packaging, taking things out of the box, um, you know, all, all of these things that are separate disciplines, quite rightly, but really trying to bring that together because there is only one user that is buying this product and taking it out of the box. So we really want to, you know, um, both at Dyson and here really wanted to create an experience for that person that really feels thought through and feels that it all works um, and, uh, you know, for the, for the kind of um, the brand and the company and what you stand for, you really want every small detail to feel right. So that was a, that was a kind of um, discovery there really. And um, I did some, freelance and consulting work for a few years but then met the guys at Teenage Engineering and found out about this opportunity uh, which was just very very exciting to, to basically start fresh uh, with a tech company and um, the goal of the tech company being to um, bring some excitement back and, and not um, not just follow some of the big guys and, and try to do something different and have a bit of fun so that's it really. So um, I spend my time working with Tom and other members of the team on physical design, digital design, audio, a uh, bit of engineering. So all of these things, trying to uh, make products with, um, with the team in Stockholm and the team in Shenzhen. It must be a very exciting time to be in uh, product design uh, and in a company like this, because I think that the consumer is a lot more sophisticated these days as to what they want out of products, how they want to experience them. Uh, everyone is very used to, uh, by and large, because companies like Apple elevated, the, the set the, the bar and the tone to a place where everyone expects the box to be presented really nicely. Everyone expects the thing to open a certain way. And that raises the bar, challenges everyone, and What's exciting when I first experienced my first nothing product is that it felt new. It felt different. It felt exciting. And uh, Tom mentioned the glyphs. And for people who don't know, and in the phone one and phone two, the back of the phone has these LED, I guess, strips or lights that, you know, that light up depending on different interactions. The Dyson experience, I guess, speaks to, you know, that, that holistic, because Dyson again is that brand that you know is as much about the effectiveness and efficiency of the product as it is how nice it looks in your home, how desirable it is, um, what the marketing is like. I just want to, for the people that aren't, the podcast is on video most places, the people that are able to see this on camera, but who, who can't, I'm holding up the latest product from you guys, which is the Ear 2, which is a Bluetooth earphones in a transparent case. And that is primarily a topic that I really want to unpack because it's such an interesting product from a design and interaction point of view. But I guess before we do, nothing as a brand to you guys, what, what, what do you live by? What do you, you know, when you, when you walk in the door and you have to solve a problem, what is the nothing way of thinking about things that you have to always check yourself that we're not them or we're not this and that 
this is what we're trying to achieve differently? Um, I think there's there's a few things here. Uh, first of all, it's evolving. And you start with a kind of blurry idea of what something is, and it comes into focus the more you cross-check your ideas uh, and challenge each other. And we're constantly doing that all the time uh, as a team. We're constantly looking at other products and looking at um, things from the past. And whenever we're out and about, we're, we're always looking at things and discussing and what we're doing in that process is kind of refining our our thinking. But I guess the key things with it are um, we always want to do something fresh and we always want to do something um, that has an element of fun to it. And we always want to do something, um, you know, that, that kind of improves on, on something. So um, in these early days, we're we're very small, so we have to be really smart about what we pick and, and, and what we can actually make an impact with. But I, th I think we're always, uh, it, by our nature, um, a lot of the people that, that work at nothing, and particularly in the creative area, they're not people that want to mimic other people and they're not people that want to um, look at the best practice and, and repeat that. Um, they're people that want to challenge things because uh, we want to keep ourselves interested. We want to, um, we don't want to get bored. We don't want to just be kind of uh, creating a production line of um, repetitive stuff. So, so for us, it's great that other people do things really well and we have a lot of admiration for lots of companies. Um, and we think we can do things another way. I, I the thought that I was, I was, um simmering on was was i guess the you know you mentioned the, the kind of quality bar that apple established you know or has established over the last 20 20 or 30 years and and it does feel to me that um lots of other companies have begun to match that kind of quality expectation to the point where it, you know to the untrained eye maybe maybe some products are indistinguishable or packaging looks quite similar or but um but i guess what i'm excited about and what what I try to think about every day when we're here is like, what's what's a new lane of design forwardness? Like, because everyone seems to be in in Apple's wake, you know, if, in in terms of color or, or or finish or shape or how the corners look or you know, just it, it, it's like they set a standard and everyone's sort of following. And actually, there's many versions of beautiful design that that can exist. They don't all have to be a sort of Dieter Ramsian. Modernist expression, like what? What is it? What's an alternative, you know, uh, parallel universe of design forwardness, and and that's what I'm quite excited about. And and that, and, you know, we'll get into it. But that, that I guess in the sound as well, like you know, that's phone one particularly was starkly different to any other phone that I think has ever existed. Um, and and so that's kind of I'm really excited to carve our own lane, and and maybe we'll we'll see people in our wake in a few years' time, but. That's kind of one of the things I think about. How do you know? Because, you know, I've been a creative background in graphic design and various creative direction things over the years. And I find it an interesting challenge of how do you guys know when the or identify when something is different and special and something is in your process different for the sake of it and therefore not uh, as valuable? I'd say it's fairly intuitive. As we we collectively, you know, Adam's very effectively picked a, a really 
a group of really confident creatives, like people with a lot of experience um, who an experience gives you a confidence in your own taste and opinion, right? And, um, you know, I think at that point, you know, obviously we make stuff that we're like, no, that's not it. But but you, you begin to notice when it is it. I do think it's hard, though. The, the, um, the thing you raise is really challenging to hear that voice, especially amongst, you know, the day-to-day of, of life, uh, because that intuition is this is this thing that is not always there every second of the day and you have to try to tune into it and create the atmosphere that allows you to tune into it so different people do that in different ways some people are a little bit more kind of logical you know this works because of this 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 and this and other people start the other side which is you feel it here and maybe then you can post rationalize it and we're slightly more in that second camp um we've got to feel it and uh there's times when maybe you can't trust that so you have to um do many things to to help you to um trust that intuition you know things like sometimes you need to just put something to the side for a few days and and not look back at it and sometimes you need to show it to people um you know other members of the team and you're asking their opinion, but you're also listening to how you feel when they give their opinion. So it's this is a very kind of uh, floaty sort of um, really difficult, unscientific, it feels, uh, thing. And especially when you're in a, a company that is moving very fast and there are lots of things going, really part of part of the job, part of my job is to try and make this bubble here in the design team where people can uh, tune in in that way. And um, I, yeah, so I guess with all those things put together, that's that's roughly how we how we get there. I really like that answer because it's not like, well, the answer is this. It's like, I don't know, we, we know, but we kind of don't and you kind of feel it. And is, you know, I, I can tell that it resonated with you, that question, because you see brands that are like, we're just going to make this product and it's like so out there, but it's not in an innovative way. It's just because no one else has done it, but it's like, but is, but is it, does anyone want it? Is it exciting? Is it, does it actually make sense? And the fact that you guys have, and correct me if I'm wrong, you have two products, phone and earphones. Two product lines at the moment. Yeah. Two, product Two product lines, lines yeah. yeah. And you're not going out there with hundreds of different things and hundreds of different really confusing numbers and codes to kind of, uh, you, you know, introduce the brand to you, which is part of that human experience that I guess you guys are, are very much in touch with. And to, to talk more about this, this year too, which I think is, you know, the primary objective of like this this intangible experience of listening is is the things that pe- you guys think about that we as consumers would not so i guess the first the first question is to you guys what makes a good wireless earphone product the fundamental thing it's got to sound good and um it's got a kind of it's it's these this this product that you have i mean you know I have mine in my pocket every day. I'm on a a bike or a scooter and then I'm on the train and then I'm on the uh the tube. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you're walking around. It's got to. It's it's with you this whole time. It's got to fit with you. So fundamentally, I think it's got to sound good, and it's got to kind of get out of the way so that you can listen to your music or listen to your podcasts or audiobooks or whatever you like to do or make calls. But um, you only experience that sound quality if it fits in with your life. And so there are all these aspects of the steps that you have to take when you own a, a product like this. You've got to charge it. You've got to put it in and out of pockets or bags. You've got to get the earbuds out of the case, put them in. They've got to stay in. They've got to be comfortable. The battery needs to last long enough to, um, you know, uh, fit your needs. If someone phones you, you need to be able to hear them clearly. They need to be able to hear you clearly. There's kind of all these things that you you um, you have to step through when mm. you're designing it. Um, so, but but maybe for me, the fundamentals are it's got to sound good and it's got to fit in with your life. I'm interested in in the, the fact that. I've actually got an ear, ear two here. I've got the new black, the black variant that we've just released. Um, I think it's the most intimate product. Uh, it's the only one that you put in your body a little bit. And it's one of the only ones that you, is sort of on your face as well, right? So uh, we, we sort of, we talk quite a lot about how, um, you know, the early days of Apple uh, owning an iMac said something about you. It was a product that was was a create for creatives, and it, it, it in some way expressed a um, a disinterest in the status quo and a, a boldness to to own something different, and actually spend quite a lot of money on something different as well. So it was it was a confident thing to have, and um, I hope that Ear Two is that as well. Right now, AirPods and all these other brands are so ubiquitous; it doesn't really mean much. So um, <clears throat> not only has it got to feel good to me, but it, it does express something outwards about me. Um, you know, even like maybe maybe we're not quite there yet, but I I wonder if these headphones might come to define a style of music. Like, might it be picked up by a certain group of people that that are in a community or or, or share a certain taste? And I don't know. In the way that Beats, I guess, was a hip hop brand, you know, because of who started it. So. Um, you know those kinds of things are, are quite interesting, and that's not necessarily the case with with other tech products. If you think of the, you know, the the, the portfolio of an Apple or a Samsung, but um, with headphones, are, yeah, are, are quite uh, an expressive product. So, you know, I, I loved what you you were saying about that the fact the function of these things it has to fit into your life, and earphones used to just be a speaker and a wire. And then it added a microphone and now there's batteries and like, yeah, you could lose it and, you know, you might not be able to, you know, connect it or pair it. And there's all these other considerations. What, what did you worry about when you launched this first product of like how people were going to interact with it? Were, were there kind of like tension points where like, gosh, people, my mum needs to get this or like people, I don't want people to misinterpret this the wrong way and therefore it's going to not work at all and fall flat on its face did you have any experience like that you know you always worry about that kind of thing you you always um there, there is a lot of worrying really in when you're developing a product if you really care um about anything you do worry about it and uh so all those things you said for sure we're we're really hard on ourselves and um also when we see feedback uh, 
and reviews and things like that we do look at that and take it really seriously and when when people in the community um, feed things back we don't just do a direct okay people are asking for this so we'll do this but we do listen to people and try and understand the need behind it and see if that's something we can address so for sure we're always worrying about those things and and um you know in particular i walk through my life really acutely aware of how clear things are and how easy they are to use and uh it's an impossible thing to ignore so um we we have to it's really like our kind of duty to to try to do our best with with all those things so yeah you, we definitely worry about that kind of stuff yeah and and um you know obviously we we t- we've talked a lot and we, we will talk a lot about the sort of more floaty creative stuff and the, the ephemeral stuff and the, the stuff that's a bit hard to pin down but there's there's obviously a period in the process of designing one of these and, and in my world it's you know it's the interactions how does it work you know there is a rigor to it and and there's you know pages and pages of flowcharts and conversations about logic priority and what happens if you hold this and press that and this is flashing and you know we um there's a time for for imaginative thinking but there's also a time to um to really be quite quite robust and um we want these things to be fun and expressive and interesting but there's a kind of base level of like this needs to work super well um otherwise you know there's there's no point in doing the fun stuff if if people don't get there right because they're annoyed and they don't buy it so um i love the user testing of of especially parents or people that aren't technologically savvy and they will almost like children they will almost immediately break the thing in ways that you don't expect immediately <laughs> it's in, it's incredible like yeah i mean you know adam and i've done like hundreds of user testing sessions over over the last decade or so and um it, even after doing it for quite a long time i am gobsmacked by some of the things that people try to do and that's not that's not um an insult uh, and if anything it's an insult to my work that i didn't catch it sooner but it's so important to test stuff because you just can't predict what people would do humans are chaotic mm. um so yeah we, we obviously test stuff rigorously and also their lives are chaotic as well yeah. there's kind of um it's all very well when you're sitting in a studio with some music on and you're thinking something through, but in real life, mm-hmm. uh, with something like earbuds, you're trying to figure out which platform you need to be on. Yeah. Someone's calling you. Please mind the gap. Exactly. There's all these things. Someone's asking to move past you. Yeah. you know, there, there's You've just three bags. Yeah, that's when it needs to work. Yeah. That's when it needs to be clear. <laughs> when when you're almost people are in fight or flight, almost. Yeah. I'd love to talk more about. I know we've we've kind of teased on it a lot about these these features and designs that. Um, we don't as consumers generally recognize. Um, I guess I can list them off, you know, from buttons to sounds to LEDs uh, to packaging. I guess let's start with let's start with sound. How how do you figure out how a brand should sound? I think well, <clears throat> the way I have approached it, um, and I've designed sound for maybe four or five brands at this point um, is actually starting with not how, but sort of what. So, you know, what, what is the information that this has to convey? 
and and in what environmental scenario is this is this is this being conveyed because um the you just like you know like an icon that tries to work too hard on a piece of software and it it's really complex and it's but it's also that big and you're like I, I literally don't know what that is and then there's and you know even you know like on the side of photoshop or something and there's a few that just don't i can't remember what they are i have to hover over them and 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 in a similar way you can't you can't get that much information across in a sound you can say that thing you were doing worked that thing you were doing didn't work um good thing happened bad thing happened um sort of fyi thing happened and and maybe a few shades of goodness and badness therein and then maybe there's a few more like um you know like a a slightly more expressive sound like an like the anc sounds on headphones are usually fairly sort of yeah, it's a bit of a moment, like, oh, the, you know, the world's all gone quiet or whatever. So, you know, there's a few moments where maybe you have a bit more fun or in a car, sometimes the engine start has a bit of a fanfare. But but broadly, there's there's not um, there's not loads of scope to, to convey that information. So, uh, so yeah, you, usually it's starting just mapping out, you know, if it's in a product, for example, what, what that range of stuff is and how bad does it get? Like if you, if you, if you do all your badness on Bluetooth's turned off, and then you need to do a, I've caught fire, um, you, and you know you need to make sure you've got enough headroom to be worse, right? And and similarly to be to be better. So you kind of really need to understand the kind of range of stuff that we're trying to communicate, and then and then just kind of, kind of try to design a bunch of sort of not even sounds at this point, but just sort of events or melodies or like little sort of sequences that that are different enough that they're recognizable as distinct things that are happening. And and then how it sounds is almost the last thing. So, you know, you can maybe wrap that in a a more sort of plinky piano-like thing. That's kind of what Google tend to do, or or maybe more of a sort of round sine wavy kind of thing which is what sort of bang and olufsen tend to do and you know the sort of various ways you might sort of shape that event to to sound a certain way and give a certain feeling yeah it's quite a good way you split that because that's that's kind of the way i think about it as well it's it's like there's this real cold functional thing Mm. it must work it must be clear um and then the voice itself is is this um, is this thing that it, it is almost? I mean, it's almost like a pure creative exercise where you just start getting a sense of ah, that could be us. Hmm. And hmm. also, you you have to be aware of what other people are doing as well because you need to know if you're encroaching on those um, different areas. And and so so there's this you you want it to express the same thing as everything else the stuff we were talking about earlier you want when you hear it you want it to make that gut feeling take you to a similar place to when you see the product mm. but they are they are two layers they sure. are <clears throat> and it, I guess in terms of <clears throat> excuse me in terms of what we've done on on ear two specifically um, we 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 don't want the sounds to get I mean, this is a music product, right? There are products that aren't music products, for example, some of the stuff we did at Dyson, um, but this is a music product. So, um, you know, there's other pit, there's other sound information happening, 
which has its own pitch and its own timbre and its own rhythm and you know there's a and as well as sort of environmental sound are you in a city are you in a quiet home there's all kinds of stuff happening and really we just want to get out of the way so you know when we do present an audio moment we want it to sound like us we want to be oh yeah that's nothing that's they're telling me something but then and then but then you know be humble like just get out of the way so these are all very short sounds um and and actually the the sort of brief that we established with uh the guys at teenage engineering was what if it's like little insects in your ears quite short and sharp and clicky and quite percussive um there's not really much like melodic tonal information in these um if you stretch them out you you probably could infer a pitch but they're so short that you really can't um <clears throat> and 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 i suppose um and then lastly like you know obviously that we we celebrate we celebrate engineering through these you know our transparent industrial design um it's quite a technical looking product you, you can to some extent see the guts of it see the innards of it and you can see the kind of details of it the sort of minute shapes and and gaps and you know parts that make these things up and so you know that feels to us like quite sharp precise precision sounds these aren't woolly fluffy pillowy products these are quite precise and engineered products so the 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 sounds to some extent speak to that kind of aesthetic as well and and all of that together kind of is is how we ended up where we did it definitely resonates with me as someone who's used the product that there's a crispness there's a sharpness to it uh i feel like in many ways i th i've perhaps not just you guys but a lot of companies recognize that there are certain human sounds that we know represent certain things like a, a like ascending usually means up <laughs> uh you know there, there's often is the case with many brands there's a kind of like slow downward which usually means that something there's something with the battery these days there's a thud that usually means oh oh that's kind of what it means oh something uh is that true? Do you feel like that as much as you think about this stuff that that almost like if you stub your toe, you know what sound it's going to make you that that when you design sounds that it's got to have that kind of intuition where people kind of hear it and go like, I think I know what it's trying to tell me. Yeah. And, you know, a, a, a one that I've sort of an example I've used before is like if um, if you pick up the phone, at least in, in the UK, and I think Australia too, um, people go, hello. And actually, if you if you think of some of the sounds that you get on like a video call service when you pick it up or or someone else picks up, it's usually a no no. And whether that's the sound designer doing that deliberately or intuitively, I don't know. But that's definitely an analog that that comes up, right? And so I think you know it's it's not maybe it's not quite skeuomorphism. I guess skeuomorphism is, might be the the literal representation of a sound like the old AOL closing door when you log out. But it, it is <clears throat> riffing on some of those familiar kind of patterns that we have in in the world, mm. I think. Um, and and I think that it's good to be aware of that. Um, it doesn't mean you, we always have to respect them, but know, knowing what they are and then either leaning into it or leaning away from it is um, yeah, a helpful thing to to know. It makes sense. There's a certain like rhythms that we're, that we're used to. Are you adverse to? 
and I think the the human voice. I know that in the early era of Bluetooth, it told you everything. It, you know, power on, power off. It is this like you know ethereal, floating, usually female voice in your ear telling you everything that's got volume up, volume down. Uh, it, it it has the industry evolved. Is it a company decision? How did how did it seems like the voice is people are. Is it the customer that's evolving that doesn't need that as much? I think it's perhaps more of a technical constraint in that the text-to-speech, so like the synthetic voices that you... I mean, obviously, like your Google Assistant and Siri are pretty good now, but like unless you have a processor with internet access, um, text-to-speech stuff is usually pretty bad. Like it doesn't... It sounds kind of robotic and there's, you know, I think some sort of early car systems would say who's calling and it would be like a kind of weird robot thing. So they just don't sound very good. Um, <clears throat> the alternative is to, of course, just record voice audio, but then you, we have languages to contend with, and uh, you know we we sell our products in more and more countries every time we release a product. So it's kind of and pretty quickly becomes quite unfeasible to to support multiple languages, um, and actually not not only kind of memory constraints, but either you need to know where that product is going. Like, where is that box going to? So I can set the language in the factory, but then that can't be sold in another territory. All users then need to have an additional step to select which territory they're in, uh, which some products do, and, it, and it, it can be fine, but then you probably need a screen, and then you probably need a bunch more buttons. So it, it's a problem that cascades quite quickly. So um, I, I'd also argue that, like, if it if it really needs that, maybe the product's trying to do too much, like that's not going to be universally true, but like it's probably quite a helpful constraint to par back the ambitions of of control and feedback because like we've talked about, like in if you're in a chaotic real world environment, you don't need your headphones telling you that transparency mode is on. Like I just need to not get hit by a car. So can you just do it, please? So um maybe maybe it's uh maybe it's part of that as well. I would definitely mm. say though, I wouldn't mm. I wouldn't rule I wouldn't rule it out because there's certain things that you were talking through there, certain examples that I was getting a little bit excited about because <laughs> partly, you know, I mean, I guess even in the question, it's, you know, uh, everyone's kind of phased it out now. Everyone's decided. So as soon as you hear that, you start thinking, well, okay, so does that mean there's a bit of space then to have some fun? Mm. I also got a little bit nostalgic about those car sounds that you're talking about mm. where it's kind of bad um this this machine is talking to you there's something in that that's interesting so i guess yeah i guess there's i guess <clears throat> these are sort of sort of the little things sometimes that we we hang on to a little bit and think well should we just try some stuff mm. uh mm. but i think it's the way you do it sometimes if you're doing it from a um purely rational perspective it's probably not the way to go but if you can get something fresh out of it, mm. I guess it's the same with the glyphs on the phone. If you were doing, um, if you were just thinking, what is a purely functional glyph system? You'd probably just have, um, you know, ten LEDs lined up, labelled, and each one's telling you a different thing. Yeah. And um, for us, that wasn't exciting because there's more to it than that. There's, we're, you know, we're trying to create something new, and um, we're we're trying to get away from 
the standard thought pattern with it. So we're, so there's there's kind of things there that depending on how you look at it might be interesting. So I suppose in that way, you almost wouldn't rule anything out. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. It does seem that way in design, doesn't it? Where like things become so refined at a certain point, it all shifts, doesn't it? It goes from minimalist to maximalist. It goes, you know, completely. Don't you? You just, it's like punk or something. It's, mm. it's, um, punk comes out of just everything, just getting samey in middle of the road and, um, and kind of, you know, all these masterpieces have, have been made and, and things. And someone just wants to explode the whole thing and just do everything opposite. And, and I guess that, yeah, there's that, yeah. that sort of impulse, which is interesting. I've never really spoken to someone in your industry about packaging and how you think about that and how one should think about that. One could say it's a box, but we all know, like I alluded to, or I mentioned earlier, that kind of the, the, the um, theater of the older or perhaps still Apple boxes taking forever, sometimes too long because of the suction. So when you guys think about nothing and and packaging, how do you how do you go about that? What's what's the challenge? What's what do you how do you want to approach it? I mean there's definitely the same impulse um as everything else we've talked about so far, which is what can we do to make it fresh? And with packaging, it works a little bit like Tom described with the with the um system sounds there's two levels there's a really functional level which is you need to transport this product from the factory to the user's home so that they receive a product that is not damaged and it's protected and it's got all the right um, extra bits in there it's got cables if you need cables it's got a manual it's got your legals it's got all these things you need and then there's other things like in the production process and the supply chain process, uh, sometimes you need to do quality checks at different phases. So you need to design all these things in so that it can be in a warehouse somewhere and then you unbox a few to do um, yeah, checks. Mm -hmm. um, then with some products um, that, that we've worked on in the past, you actually ship uh, sub-assembly parts to different territories and then they do the final assembly into the final box in a different territory and that means that you can avoid what tom described earlier with the language thing uh, which is maybe you've got something in one country but you actually want to move to another country and, and sell there you can then put your different power adapter in and your different uh, manual if you have different user guides for for different territories so there is this really purely thing it's got to go through um shipping it's got to have different levels of moisture it's got to uh, be able to fit neatly onto um, a crate and a pallet in an efficient way so that you're um, you're kind of not overspending on space you haven't got lots of thin air in your um, in your kind of shipping containers um, so a lot of packaging that you see is being designed specifically to nest neatly into shipping containers uh, because the costs add up when you when you're shipping you know uh, hundreds of thousands millions of products so there's that level which is a must-have you must be able to do all that stuff but then there's another level um, which we absolutely think that the packaging is part of the product it is the product and um, if you don't think of it that way you 
you lose a real opportunity to express yourself and you lose a real opportunity to kind of communicate with your your user and, and give an experience. And uh, so we always want to do that. And we always want that unboxing moment, probably fueled by the, the fact that in our lives, um, we've got real memories of unboxing things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think for some people that, that could sound like a materialistic thing, but I, I really don't think it is. I don't think it was about kind of, it, it was about this kind of experience and this exciting thing that you're unboxing, whether it's a musical instrument or a, um, a camera or the first iPhone that you had, or, you know, it's just this, this like real magical moment where the opportunity is, is in front of you and, um, that's really what we want to kind of capture. So, so with uh, all our products so far, we've got this kind of box fresh thing where you you kind of peel away this tear strip, and it's forever changed, and um, only you have that experience. And and almost the the fantasy is that when you do that, you hear this kind of like like this kind of vacuum of air coming out you know so you really know like uh some food or something that it's really fresh and it's straight from the factory so um yeah lots lots of thought around that uh like like smartphones um there's this almost irresistible pressure to do what everyone else does because it makes so much sense in a in a rational way it just makes sense this is the cheapest way to protect your product in a neat way it's industry standard um you're silly not to do this um and i guess that's what we are are trying to challenge as well um we're we're kind of trying to to challenge the sensible thing to do because even if it is the sensible thing to do maybe that doesn't mean it's always the right thing to do so all of those things around packaging uh yeah we're, we're very passionate about I, I do have to round out the episode uh, and I guess without, obviously with the, the work that you guys do, there's a long lead time and I'm sure you're working on phone three, ear three, all those sort of things. But without giving too much away, you know, far in the future, what what do you hope to achieve? Is it, you know, are you looking towards, you know, more seamless interaction or are you looking towards something where products don't have as much of a physical presence and and things so so small that they don't even impact you at all how what what is the dream for for both of you that you would love to kind of uh experiment with or see happen i mean we we um talk about this just all the time we can't stop talking about it um, even when out, we're outside work or when we go for a drink, yeah. we always have lots and lots of ideas. I guess the main thing for us is working on things that are exciting, that feel like we're going to go into a new place. So um, there'll be loads of kind of crossroads we get to where, you know, do you do you want a, an ecosystem that is enclosed? Do you want an ecosystem that's open? Do you want an ecosystem of intelligent nodes or do you want a brain with uh, peripheral things connecting there are all these kind of things we're talking all the time i guess we'll always just be led by the you know solving problems the experience and um what's exciting i guess to us Mm. i agree with that 
I, I kind of think a bit about how like design on its uh, on the on the continuum of design to art, if you will, like design in its purest, most rational sense is sort of concerned with information and communication, and and maybe art is is isn't concerned with emotion and. And obviously, there's a there's a, a gradient there. Like sometimes design is expressive, and sometimes art is communicative, and maybe it's political or, you know, something like that. But but uh, you know, it, down the design end, we I think as 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 tech companies go, we are at the expressive end. You know, we're we're not necessarily everything for everyone, and there's people that don't get it, and and that's really really exciting because you know we we want to speak to people who do get it. And I'm excited to make things for us, but also for for those people. So I I really want to stay opinionated as a company. I want to make ambitious things that don't solve every problem in our lives, and maybe aren't even the most efficient solution to a problem, but they are the most interesting and, and enriching solution. Or maybe it's not even about solving a problem. Maybe it's about having fun or, or connecting with with people or loved ones or having shared experiences. So so I I hope that whatever we do, and I don't really mind what it is, but I, I do want us to stay stay interesting, stay dangerous and and stay curious and keep making things that that aren't for everybody but are really exciting for some people. Uh, a beautiful answer and thank you both. I think that there's it's so interesting and such a privilege to speak to you guys because there is that consideration of uh you know there's design language there's experience there's there's expectations of what people want but there's also constraints around technology what you have access to what what how big it is what size it is there's also legal constraints or or, or language constraints of things that you have to think about but then uh, the layer over the top of all of that is creativity and emotion and instinct and confidence which kind of wraps it all up in a way that makes it feel like it. none of that other stuff exists because it does very much. And that, that kind of boggles my mind a little bit that uh, you have to think about the battery and how much battery is in an earphone. But I don't think about that. I just, I just enjoy the design. And um, I think that you guys have articulated it really well. And I think that people are really going to enjoy this conversation. And Adam and Tom from Nothing speak volumes thank you so much for your time and uh i really appreciate your thoughts and wisdom on this this topic so thank you so much for for joining us well thank you very much i really enjoyed it that is the episode for today tom adam thank you so much and we'll see everyone next time